I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. I think you're going to really enjoy Jonathan's approach pretty much to everything. He's a crowdfunding uh, expert. He's a growth hacker. We're going to talk a little bit about that, an SEO specialist. If you're looking to raise funds uh, through crowdfunding like Kickstarter or Indiegogo or GoFundMe or one of the others out there, then uh, Jonathan's the guy that you want to talk to. But we also talk about a great deal. Uh, 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 we talk about a lot of other things. We talk about why he roots for the underdog and, 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 and why... Uh, accessible technology is so important to him. And we talk about virality, not virility, but virality and how a campaign, a crowdfunding campaign can go uh, viral and about what matters to Jonathan as well. And that's uh, something he, he started a few years ago, the, the Accessible Computing Foundation. You're going to want to listen to find out why uh, Jonathan is so passionate about accessible technology. Uh, please uh, stay tuned You uh, and, and check out uh, this interview. Lots of insight here. And uh, we also talk about um, why uh, if Jonathan didn't have an accessible computer, he probably wouldn't be doing very much with his life. And I think that's a really profound insight. DavidPeckLive.com for more information about my own podcasting and my writing and my public speaking. Check us out there. But now please stay tuned for Jonathan Nato. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We are joined by another very special guest today. Jonathan Nato is here with us. He's a crowdfunding expert, a growth hacker, and um, I have no idea what either of those things are. So, Jonathan, thank you for joining us here today. Hey, thanks, David. Thanks for having me on. It's my pleasure to be here. So what, pray tell, is a crowdfunding expert and or a growth hacker? Well, a crowdfunding expert would be, uh, first of all, you know, I, I put that label as just kind of like bait to, you know, want to right. click on my profile, you know. But uh, a crowdfunding expert, I say, is well-versed in uh, crowdfunding techniques and uh, raising money through various crowdfunding platforms. And I guess that's where I, where I fall with that. I've, I've helped 150 campaigns raise money, some of them more successful than others. 
and uh, I have a pretty decent understanding of the mechanisms behind crowdfunding and, and marketing crowdfunding campaigns. So you 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 actually host a podcast, several podcasts, I believe uh, you've you've hosted in the past, but you host a podcast currently about crowdfunding campaigns, correct? Yes, that's right. It's called Crowdfunding Cast. Uh, it's found at crowdfundingcast.tk. Crowdfunding Cast. So what are you learning? What are you learning about crowdfunding? What are you learning about the ice bucket challenge and uh, <laughs> about how to raise your your millions for your your uh, your personalized projects? Yeah, well, I mean, the crowdfunding cast, it was really, I, I first started doing, because I've been doing podcasts for like eight years, I have a really heavy technology background, I have a degree in computer science, I have a degree in business administration, and so crowdfunding to me is awesome, and like, I'm always like rooting for kind of like the underdog, I'm, I'm, mm. one of those, I'm one of those people, you know, and I love that it just really levels the playing field, like, what really stands out for me is like people that do like independent films or you know they're ind- independent musicians where you know if you're an independent filmmaker you have to go you know 10 years ago you have to go to this big budget production company and say hey here's my script what do you think and they take a look at it and say yeah it's a piece of garbage we can't you know we couldn't even make a million dollars off this get out of here right. and just because you can't make a million dollars or 10 million or 100 million off of a story doesn't mean it's not a good idea and and so crowdfunding levels that playing field where if you can find the audience for your film, you can get it funded. Good on you, and get it done. So, so tell me about that. I mean, so you've got your crazy campaigns that go viral. Everybody wants to go viral. Everybody wants to make a million dollars. I mean, it's you know, if you're doing anything that's that's non a nonprofit or charitable, uh, any kind of campaign that's you know has, has has got some sort of I don't know what what could I say ethical foundation, let's say, or yeah. you know, is about the social good. I mean, obviously you're you're hoping you're going to go viral, but the reality is, um, not very many do. What what's your two cents there? I mean, do you, do you need a crowd before you start to crowdfund? Does that does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, so before we get to that, so you know, a lot of a lot of the clients that I work with, you know, when I start talking to them, I say, crowdfunding is not what you expect, and huh? like, no, I had one idea going into it, and I pushed the go button, and everything blew up in my face, like I, <laughs> everything not, changed. Yeah, it's not at all what I thought it would be, and you know, a lot. Not a lot of people, but you know, quite a few people. You know, they'll see these stories on about Kickstarter. Oh, this company raised millions of dollars or tens of millions, or you know, they'll see campaigns on Indiegogo raise millions or tens of millions, and people are like, "I could do this. I'm just gonna create this little page here, hit hit go, and I'm gonna watch the money come rolling and wa- in and watch it roll in." Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> um, now, I'd have to say, you know, I would say. A majority of successful campaigns definitely do a lot of legwork that no one's aware of before they launch a campaign, whether it be three months, six months. I've even seen campaigns put a year's worth of work leading up to the campaign. So they they literally build their crowd before they even launch the campaign. Which is what a lot of people probably don't know. Uh, right. about, about about fundraising fundraising as a general rule. I mean, I think you know I've certainly worked in the field in the sector for years in the nonprofit sector, and often with you know events, event management, for instance, people would bring in a celebrity and they'll bring a musician and a comedian in and do this wonderful event and charge seventy five dollars a ticket, and then be surprised that they actually didn't raise any money. Right. And it's got a similar feel, except you know just a different sort of mechanism. Exactly. Yeah. No. I mean, you know, any a lot. Like I said, a lot of these campaigns that are really successful definitely put a lot of work into it ahead of time that no one realizes. They just come to the campaign and be like, "Man, it's only been live for an hour, and they've already raised seventy five thousand dollars." And it's like, 
yeah, it's because they did six months worth of work. Like you know, it just didn't happen by by magic. So are you are you now a crowdfunding cynic, or, or or would you say you still really do believe in the model? Oh no, I still believe in the model because I, I work with campaigns where you know people would hire me after they hit go. Hmm. And we still will raise you know tens of thousands of dollars. I, I've worked with a campaign that you know hired me after they hit go. They had raised five thousand dollars on their own, and then before the campaign was over, we got them up to ninety. So it was almost their almost their goal. They wanted to reach a hundred thousand. So. You know, uh, so so it can be done even if you don't put all that work in ahead of time. It's not that it can't be done. I would I would say maybe it's a little bit harder, but it can be done still, no matter what. Like I've seen so many things happen with campaigns I've worked with. I tell my clients anything is possible with crowdfunding, and it's not over until your your counter is at zero. Right. What uh, what makes somebody what what makes somebody's campaign go viral? I man, if I had that question, I'd be, <laughs> I'd be the silver bullet. Um, it, that that's the thing about virality. It you just don't know where that lightning's going to strike. It, it, you know, I tell my clients, I I bombard the internet with with links back to a campaign because you just have no clue. It you know, I I'll even drop links on like sites that make no sense because just because maybe it's a a pottery site or like a florist site doesn't mean they're not going to like your music. Doesn't mean they might be interested in this gadget that has nothing to do with flowers. Like. You just never know where the lightning is going to strike. And so I always just plant links everywhere and anywhere that, I, that I'm able to because you just don't know. And all t- I, I, every client is one link away from it going viral. It's, it, it's one you know person pledging and, and retweeting it or sharing it on Facebook. They're just one share or re- retweet away. It's so, did you coin the word virality, by the way? That's hilarious. I've, I've, oh, never, I've never heard that word used before. Maybe, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I've heard that word before, but maybe not. I, I turned a vi, a vi, going viral into a verb, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Da- <laughs> dangerously close to virility, as we both know. Yeah. Um, so so what's what's interesting to me about what things that do go viral, the, so some guy's cat who's learned how to do card tricks or mm. something mm. goes viral, and it just... It, you know what is it? What is it about it? I mean, obviously, everybody's trying to figure out uh, marketers, advertisers. You know, what is it about? Uh, does it is it is it the story? Is it something that appeals emotionally? You know, is you know, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm well because I'm sort of in the field in the sector as well. I'm kind of I'm kind of keen to find out myself. Yeah, I, I think I, it's hard. I think I think if you try to manufacture it, people can pick up on. It, I think I, mm. I don't know. I I honestly think true things that go viral literally weren't necessarily intended for that i mean obviously i mean like you mentioned kind of the ice buck challenge that was just a brilliant thing that was just kind of using guilt to 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 sort of spread it like oh i'm gonna challenge you and if you don't do it then you gotta you gotta pledge whatever amount of money to the you know to the als you know right so they kind of guilted people into it but in a smart way where they they utilize video they utilized, uh, you know, Facebook, like tag your friends that you want to, you know, have have it done. So I mean, it was done in a smart way, and that obviously was manufactured, but it worked out really well. Um, but an example is uh, that that one of that latest video on Facebook, the lady with the Chewbacca mask. Oh, I uh, haven't seen it, but I've heard about it. I think she that was a legitimate just video of her messing around, and it just blew up and got out of control. And she never in a million years would have thought it did what it did. 
Like, I thought she was just being funny to her friends, and she did, like, this quick Facebook Live thing, and she went into, uh, I think it was a Kohl's, and bought this Chewbacca mask, and she brought it in her car, and she's like, you know what, this is for me, and I think it was her birthday or something, she's like, my kids are going to see this, and they're going to want it, I'm going to tell them, no, this is my Chewbacca mask, and, like, she was having a bad day or something, I think, that day, and so she puts the mask on in the car, and she just starts cracking up, like, <laughs> like her laugh was so, so contagious, like, that's why, it looked, like, after watching the video, I was like, this is a real video. I don't think she was, you know, at all manufacturing. You could tell by her laugh. It just seemed so, so real and so, you know, like, contagious. Like I said, and so things like that, you just, I don't think you can plan for it. I think it just happens. It just, it's the mood of the people on the internet that day and just seeing the right video, I guess, you know. Which is, which is precisely your point about planting seeds in certain spots on the net. That right, you right. don't necessarily see a connection, but somehow maybe there is one. Um, exactly. So it, does that lead? Is that a fair? Uh, um, hmm, does that lead to another question that that may or may not be fair? But are we just sort of scratching the surface with respect to crowdfunding, or do you think it's a bit of a phase or a fad? I think we're scratching the surface. Um, some uh, the the people that are doing video games, though, are th- I think maybe they're leaving a bit of a bad taste in the mouth of people pledging the video games. Unfortunately, there's been quite a few crowdfunding campaigns that have raised a considerable amount of money and have yet to like release things, and they're like two years behind schedule. Oh, so, oh, okay. So I see what you're saying. So video, fancy new video game, you get to buy a piece of the game, perhaps, or something. And well, I mean, they're like, hey, check out this really cool game. They'll have like a cool screenshot, or like maybe a minute or two of like you know live action of the game you know like program just enough to show you they have something working and like oh you know just pledge so we can finish it we really want to finish this game look how awesome it is and so you're not like buying a piece of the game but you're like yes i want this game here's my 30 dollars. i'm in a sense pre-ordering it you know here's right. my 30 right. or 50 bucks and you know oh we'll have it done in six months and we'll get it to you and there's been plenty of games where a year later nothing you know two years later nothing there's one that pops up in mind it's called star citizen and they're actually paying mark hamill to do voiceovers someone else to do voiceovers and they've raised like up up uh, i think like 130 million dollars so far and it's been like two years and there's still nothing to show for it wow that's incredible so you're not suggesting that it's a scam necessarily it's just, i hope not yeah okay, <laughs> you know because okay. what in the world are you doing with 130 million dollars and you have nothing to show for it? i mean yeah, yeah my goodness you know so it is a lofty game that they want to do, but there's still like nothing to be like, oh, hey, log in, because it's this whole online universe kind of game thing they're doing. So they could at least have like a login and be like, hey, check out, we have one level done, check it out. You know, right. there's nothing to show for it. So you were the fascinating, your, your LinkedIn profile is really interesting. First of all, what the heck is Sonar GNU backslash Linux? We need to talk about that. But what's more, what's, and I have an idea, I really do, but a little, a little bit, but it sounds, um, it sounds like some sort of NASA program, but, um, you were president and executive director of the accessible computing foundation. Uh, really interesting. Tell, tell me about accessible technology and, 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 and how you landed there. Well, I started the ACF. I gave that acronym. I might get back around to that. But the ACF uh, was my idea because I myself am blind. I lost my sight in a car accident at the age of 14 in, in 1992. So I was right on the cusp. Uh, you know, if you, if you were or are going to be blind, it was kind of around that time where 
that would be the time to be blind or even now. I mean, technology is amazing for really for any disability. Um, but I, I lost my sight in '92, and you know, I was I was heavily into computers up until then. I grew up with a Commodore 64, and I was like in fourth grade. <laughs> and, How, uh, hold on, hold on. How old are you? I'm, 30, I'm 37. <laughs> you and you grew up with a Commodore 64. Oh yeah, yeah, that's yeah. My, a, that's my, my uncle actually was a programmer for the uh, nuclear submarines in, at the, at the sub base in Connecticut. Okay. And, and he told my parents, I wanted a Nintendo when I was a kid. You know, this is like 1984, so, you know, somewhere around there. I wanted a Nintendo. It just came out, or it roughly just came out. And my uncle was like, no, no, don't don't get him that. That's that's garbage. He's like, you want to buy him this computer. <laughs> and so, so my parents, it was for my birthday or for Christmas. I don't remember which one. And, you know, I wouldn't. I wasn't a spoiled brat when I look back at it, though. I, I was definitely spoiled, but I didn't feel like I was obligated to get these things. And, uh, you know, so they got me this computer, and I can, I can honestly remember thinking, like, I, I didn't say it out loud because I probably would have crushed them, but I can remember thinking, like, I asked for a Nintendo and you get me this? Like, you know, it'd be like asking your parents, hey, can you get me, like, a station wagon or something when I turn 16? You know, I just want, you know, some kind of car to drive. It'd be great. And your parents, they go out and buy, like, a Porsche, and you're like, I didn't ask for this, you know. <laughs> right, right. Totally, totally turned it on its head without you even yeah. knowing it. Yeah, yeah. So, so but I still, up. it's pretty funny because you realize for the last ninety seconds, most of our listeners have been googling Commodore sixty four. Exactly. You do know that, they're like, right? What, what the heck is this? What you know? is that? They're, yeah, they're gonna find the. Uh, I think they make. Um, you know, there's like those new emulators coming out now where like the Atari joysticks have like all these Atari games in them and stuff. I think they actually make some of those Commodore 64 emulators now, so that's what they're probably going to be finding. My son, my <laughs> son has no interest in asteroids or space invaders. Oh it, man, it that's breaks, wrong. It breaks my heart. You have to, you have to lock him in his room and, and <laughs> can't leave until you play this stuff. Well, <laughs> and you know what's so interesting about that? We're a little digre- we're digressing here just a tad, but it's still pretty fun. Is that, that it's just a technology shift and how games are all about strategy today. It's Games, whereas the games I grew up with were all about shooting things and blowing things up, and and so now you really have to, um, hmm, you really got to go deep to get into a game. It seems to me, yeah, uh, which is pretty interesting from a I don't know a pedagogical perspective, and maybe maybe from a, an addictive perspective too. I don't know, but uh, uh, anyway, so tell so so tell me more about about you know how your your I mean, it seems like an obvious link uh, from your your blindness to to accessible accessibility software. Mm. Um, yeah, but talk. T- tell me more about that. My father had Parkinson's disease. I uh, I, uh, I I'm working with uh, a lot of landmine amputees uh, in the work that I do in, mm. in Southeast Asia right now, and and I know that uh, there. You know, I don't know a lot about this, but but I, I'm certainly familiar with it on a few levels. Yeah. So you know, like like I was saying, technology is great. The age that we live in, things are. They could be moving faster, but they're at least moving fast enough, and it's it's impressive what you know I can do as a blind person. I mean, I can pretty much do anything on a computer a sighted person can do, short of editing a video. Like, you know, I can I can send emails, I can surf the web, I can create documents, I can look at Excel, Excel spreadsheets. I I edit the audio on my podcast. I mean, so there's there's nothing I can't it, do. Is this is this Jonathan? Is this all voice activated? Yes, I have a, the technology I use, which every blind person uses, is a technology called a screen reader. And so there's various types of screen readers on, very, on, on all kinds of platforms. And so the screen reader essentially reads the screen to me. So anywhere you see you know, the, uh, the text on you know, certain things, that my screen reader will read that. So if I'm trying to open up a program, say like Audacity, if I, if I tab to it or arrow to it, once the screen reader lands on that, it'll say Audacity, and I know I'm on it. 
I hit enter, and then boom, it opens it up. And then I, I start using the program from there. And so basically, I, then that's why, you know, I'll open up Firefox. It'll bring me to the, you know, the, the web. And then I can, you know, put in a URL, hit enter, and then bring. It'll bring me to that website. Or if I can go through my bookmarks on, you know, Firefox. I can look through my history. So I can access all that stuff just like a sighted person can too. I just do every – I don't use the mouse at all. I use everything through keyboard commands. So was the idea behind the foundation to – Make the tech make the the accessible technology even that much more accessible. Was that the idea? Yes. the the, the focus was to bring accessibility into even more sections or sectors of life that that it could be needed that you know maybe isn't paid attention to or thought of. Because honestly, when I talk to a lot of developers or you know programmers or people in technology, I'll I'll tell them you know I might email people and say, hey, this is a great piece of software. I'm blind. I can't access this part of it or this part of it. My screen reader you know, can't, can't read what you're doing here. So I can't use part of the program. And 99% of the time people will reply back to me saying, I never considered a blind person using my software. Mm. I, I never, I never thought it would be possible. So a lot of the people will, you know, fix issues or try to make things better if it's brought to their attention. Right. So, you know, so a lot of, a lot of these programmers or people developing websites never imagine, well, a blind person is not going to look at my website. What do I care? You know? And, uh, uh, it, it, you know, and there are plenty of blind people out there. There's 360 million blind people in the world. Wow! So th- there's a lot of blind people out there, and that that doesn't mean like totally, totally blind like me. Like I don't see light or anything. But you know, 360 million blind people, meaning they have pretty severe, you know, uh, eye issues or vision issues. You know, where where they're not seeing. You know, 2020, and even glasses won't help. So right. you know, so that that that's where that number's at. And 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 those kinds of folks clearly are going to need assistive technology as well. Exactly, and in, I mean in a lot of cases. Yeah, in this day and age, I mean, if I didn't have my computer, I I mean, I don't want to say I wouldn't I wouldn't be doing anything, but it would be much much more harder. Like I wouldn't have graduated high school, I wouldn't have graduated mm-hmm. college, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. You know, like without an accessible computer. So I mean, so my my part of the ACF was to make. As, mu- as many gadgets and technology around people as accessible as possible. And another reason behind it, too, is the assistive technology world. I'm throwing out a bunch of uh, buzzwords here. But the assistive technology world is very, I'm going to go on a limb and say corrupt. And, and, and the way it's corrupt is there are, there are you know, companies that make this accessible software, and it's great. And it you know, gives me access to a Windows computer, and I can use it. And, and here's where they're corrupt. They, this, these companies will knowingly, or I'm hoping they know, and they, they do a market research, mm-hmm. 80% of blind people in the United States are unemployed. Now, and that's not because they're not smart. It's because no one wants to bother hiring them. Right, and right. so these companies will charge $1,500 for their screen reader software. And so they know that these 80% of blind people can't afford it. And what happens is there's a bunch of government entities in every state in the United States that basically foot the bill mm. and they pay the $1,500 and they essentially, quote unquote, you know, give it to the blind individual. I mean, they call it like borrowing or whatever, but, you know, basically they're giving it to them. So, so the, this company is basically taking advantage of people and the situations they're in that didn't choose to be in the situation they're in and they're being taken advantage of. And since the government or these entities pay the bill, there's no way for this company to to fail. Like they'll always succeed. They'll always succeed. They're sure. being fucked up. So so the market can't judge what happens to this company because the market isn't even in control of what's going on. 
Yeah, it sounds uh, sounds a little troubling on on a few levels. And 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 the same thing is done with uh, another example is um, I have a friend whose um, aunt is uh, deaf, and she was this is maybe a year or two ago, and she had to buy this technology for her to use the phone where basically right. whoever she was talking to on on her, on the other end would basically come out and text on on her like device, I want to call it a phone because it's kind of bigger than a phone, but the text would come on the device and then she would either like type back, I'm not sure exactly how she communicated, but this device was $5,000 and I said this is something a simple cell phone can do with like the right program like there's no you know, there's no reason for this. Yeah, no, that's insane. So I guess what you're saying is, and, and maybe what you were doing with the foundation was to sort of push back on some of that and say, hang on a second here, there's another way. There's a way that's way more affordable, that's that's uh, uh, a, a little more above ground, if you will. <laughs> yeah, like, let's utilize the technology that's already around us. And there's no need. I mean, 20 years ago, yeah, I guess that would, that would be needed, you know. But this day and age, we can just use off-the-shelf technology and, and make it do what we want it to do. So did you provide software? And it looks like you've gone on to sort of stay very connected to this whole idea of assistive technology. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'd love, love to hear more about that. Were you providing it? Were you creating it? Were you just sort of acting as a, 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 I don't know, a consultant to folks to say, hey, here's where your options are. Here's how we can help. Yeah, so basically I originally was intending for the ACF to be a nonprofit. Okay. I was unable to really get that to go through because – it's, we're focused on developing open source software, and unfortunately, here in the United States, there's been quite a bit of tax fraud around uh, open source software nonprofit companies. So it is very, very extremely hard, basically impossible now to get your non your five hundred one c three. And so, I've I've sort of given up on that, but I still have the foundation, but it's just not a nonprofit. Right. Um, so, so the goal is to you know, if people want to you know give donations or pledge to the foundation, we take that money. And we pay developers to create accessible software on various oh, okay. platforms, you know, to give access to people. Now, another one of my plans with the ACF was I, I've gotten in contact with some pretty high up people, like at Google, HP, you know, places like that. And I told and I explained to them, it's in your interest to support this foundation, and here's why. And you know, if you you know give us whatever a hundred thousand dollars, half a million dollars, which honestly is a rounding error for them. Um, we we can afford to pay a couple developers and if we make devices laptops you know more accessible there's a billion people in the world with some type of disability mm. and there's you know close to that billion people in the world aren't accessing the internet because they can't so we would be bringing another billion people to the internet we would bring a billion people google to see more of your ads we would bring a billion more people to use your adwords and to do google searches hp we would bring a billion more people looking for laptops and desktops and you know, so, you know, yeah, yeah, kept talking back and forth, back and forth, push came to shove, and nothing ever happened. And what's sad is a lot of people talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. And, is, and it's just sad. Is it is it because they don't see enough of an opportunity there? I mean, I mean, if, if somebody had a uh, step, uh, you know, stopped me in the street and said, hey, what do you think about this kind of technology? Do you think there are people out there researching it, developing it, et cetera? I would have said for sure. And I would have probably said Google and some of the bigger companies are absolutely on top of this. But, but yeah. by the sounds of it, not necessarily. 
No, and I, I think they just, you know, it's n- not enough of a monetary return, I guess. I, I figured if I threw out the, the billion, like, that would catch them, but, you know, they weren't interested, you know, and it's just sad. Like I said, a lot of people talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. Like, <laughs> I had a real bad issue a couple, like, a month ago with some Google properties, and on Facebook, I put, if you are a web developer or know someone that is one, look at what Google does and do the exact opposite. I said, I said, Google is the biggest offender of an inaccessible web. And a friend of mine tagged a pretty high up Google employee saying, hey, this is my friend Jonathan. He's a blind, he's a savvy computer user. He develops, you know, an operating system and blah, blah, blah. This guy knows what he's talking about. You should consider what he's saying here. The guy never even replied back. He didn't even reply, eh? No. Yeah, that that's wild. I mean, it sounds to me like you got a bit of a campaign on your hands there. Like seriously, that's just that's ridiculous. I mean, if you've if you've logged hours and you've got some evidence, I mean, you certainly have a few blogs in the making. You get the right you get the right journalist on that, and and all hell will break loose. Yeah, yeah, and and it's just things like that I've encountered throughout you know years, and it's just like I, I get frustrated and kind of stop for a little while, and then I kind of get back on it. It's just like you know. I, I, when I first started, I was like, well, clearly it's just education. That's the problem. People just need to be educated. But now we're past that. Now it's just flat out, we don't care. <laughs> you know, like, we can't be bothered, you know, and uh, it's, it's frustrating. You don't, you don't sound like a guy who gets discouraged too often. Do you, do you consider, and I'm sure you do, though. I don't want to <laughs> undervalue that. Do you, do you consider yourself as somebody who has a disability? Is that, does that make sense, that question? Yeah, no, I, I don't, I'm, I, I don't, I mean, if people, like, don't know me, they'd be like, oh, he's, you know, I mean, I say I'm blind, but I never call myself disabled or whatever, I, I mean, I never think of it that way, and, you know, I, I have a whole theory behind that, too, like, you know, I, I wasn't born blind, I, I could see for 14 years, I, I talk and walk just like I can see, if I'm talking to you face-to-face, I'm looking right at you, mm-hmm. or if someone calls my name, I'm going to turn my head, even though, even though I'm not going to see them, it's just force of habit, that's what sighted people do. And so I, I have the mannerisms of a sighted person, and I, and I could see for 14 years, I know what things look like. I know what colors are. I know what cars look like. I know what trees look like, birds, animals. So I know what all these things look like. And, you know, from, from, again, this is a very broad brush here, but here, here's my opinion from what I've seen. Kids that are born blind are sort of brought up in this system, so to speak, and I'm not putting any blame on the parents because they don't know, like, I, oh my gosh, my kid was born blind, or my, my at the age of six months, my kid's going to lose his, his or her sight. What do I do? And so they look in the online, oh, here's a blind agency. They, they must be able to help me out. Right. And so these blind agencies come in and, and put these kids in a box. You know, when, when, I, was, when I was going to school and at, at college, I went back to school when I was 30 to get my degree. My <laughs> The person working with me at this agency who's supposedly supposed to help me was like, well, maybe you should just change your your uh, major if you're having a hard time doing this. I'm like, no, that's not the answer. <laughs> you know? Like, if you're having a hard time, you you find a solution to the problem. Like, right. her answer was, well, and she was she specifically also said, well, blind people usually don't do this. I'm like, I don't care <laughs> what blind people do or usually don't do. Like, so what? Like, I can do whatever I put my mind to, and I'm not going to limit myself. And unfortunately, these kids growing up are told at ages three, four, five, six, seven, no, no, little Johnny, that's not what blind kids do. Don't do right. that. Right. And so when they grow up, they grow up in this system and they're too afraid to try things. 
and, and they're put in this box and they're told blind people don't do this, but blind people do that. And then they just, unfortunately, they don't know how to fight the system. They think the system is there to help them when they don't realize the system is actually keeping them back. And is this something that, you, I mean, you sound, holy cow, you sound, you sound like you got so much energy and you got ideas and you got, you, 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 you should, I mean, you sounds like you should be speaking about these issues or at least, and if not writing about them, if nothing else, I mean, is, are you, would you call yourself a bit of an advocate? Like I, like, I th- like I said, I think in the beginning, I, I always sort of just root for the underdog. And right, I, right, I, I guess right. I am the underdog also, you know, like it, it, it's, it's frustrating. Well, it's so weird, eh? Like a billion people who, who have some sort of, you know, uh, physiological disability and, and, and that's a minority? Yeah, that's, I know. That's, that's a lot of people. Yeah, right? well, I, th- I think too, you know, again, and this is people all around the world, I can't speak for what it is like in, in France or, you know, Italy or, you know, the Eastern European countries. I, I don't know how they handle, you know, these situations with their, their people there. But, you know, at, just from seeing how blind kids are, are dealt with, you know, being born blind and dealt with through the system, if you're born with a disability at a young age, you're just kind of what's the word i don't want to say condition because that seems wrong <laughs> but you know you're almost just kind of like oh no people with disabilities don't do that or they don't do this and then you're just happy to get what you get when the crumbs fall off the table you're just like oh thank you like thank you for just you know really putting yourself out there and making this easier for me when look with the technology if if uh, you know a handful of people got together they could change a lot of people's mm-hmm. lives if they just put a little bit of effort behind it instead you know, back to kind of the U.S., you know, we have rules and laws and regulations of this has to be accessible. You know, here's here's the 80-page guideline of, of what accessibility is. And those companies will come right up to that edge and stand on that line meeting the accessibility stuff and walk away. Okay, we checked all the boxes. We're accessible. Yeah, it's like we'll do we'll do as little as we can just to fall within the in the parameters of what's considered to be right. Exactly. Or socially acceptable. Exactly. Yeah. Because really, the company, you don't want to be that company. You know, <laughs> like Jet, JetBlue, actually, I can't believe they did this, but JetBlue was actually sued by a blind person because I've never flown ever. But apparently, their, like, ter- their kiosk things were like these touch screens in order to like book your flights or check your flights and all that. Well, I mean, if you're blind and the thing isn't talking, how the heck are you supposed to yeah. know when your flight's coming? How are you supposed to book your flight? Well, apparently, a blind person sued JetBlue over this, and JetBlue won the decision not to make their stuff accessible. Wow, yeah. I, and I was I like, sh- wow, you went, you went above and beyond the call of duty to make sure you didn't have to make your stuff accessible, you know? It's like, man. <laughs> Sounds to me like you should be an investigative journalist. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, they, I mean, they'd see me coming a mile away. The heck, <laughs> the heck, the heck with crowdfunding, Jonathan. <laughs> but you know, and so th- that was you know the, the the thrust behind the ACF though is to just I was like, it's got to be just no one's educated enough, and and you know throughout my like I said, I reach out to developers, and they're just like, oh, I I never considered it, you know, and it was just out of ignorance. It wasn't out of you know, oh, I hate blind people. I'm not going to make it accessible or. You know, oh, too bad if you have low vision. You know, like they, that never crossed their mind. They just never considered it. Is is this about? You know, we we'll probably have to wrap it up here shortly in a few minutes. But but tell me, is this really about education? Is it about educating folks who, who you know, the Jet Blues of the world, the Googles of the world, people who don't know, who myself included, you know, uh, um, 
My, I mean, my dad was, you know, by all accounts disabled in the last few years of his life. He had been diagnosed with Parkinson's for many, many years in the wheelchair. So, so I, I, I became aware of a world that I had didn't really know existed. You know, if you had, again, if you had asked me, stopped me in the street, of course, I would have said, oh, well, this is what it is. And, but having lived it, you know, and ac- actually had to learn how to live with it, 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 it changes things. So I wonder, you know, for those kids that you say that are born blind, do they need to be educated differently? I mean, it sure sounds like it. Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, back to, well, there's sort of a two-sided answer to that. So the first answer is what I would have said it would have come down to education. I would have said yes up until that last Facebook post when that when that right. specific Google developer was specifically tagged, brought to his attention who I was and my post, and did nothing. And granted, this is one person, but I think it's a very good tell of kind of the overall view where I was telling my wife, I was like, I'm seriously a second class citizen. Mm. Like I, I, I think I've been ignoring that that's the truth and, and being like, no, it's, it's an education. People don't know. I need to bring their attention. But after that one little incident and I mean, really kind of everything else building up over it, like, you know, people will talk to you, talk to you, talk to you. And then it's just silence. They, okay, right. we, we placated to him enough. Now let's just ignore him or whatever. And, I was like, wow, you know, I'm seriously a second-class citizen. Like, I was brushed off into the corner and just said, you know, basically like, hey, whatever you got, whatever's accessible is accessible and be happy. So how do you stay hopeful, Jonathan? How do I mean, it sounds to me like you are. It's kind of like that question back to the whole crowdfunding thing. You know, there's a, there is sort of, a, a, I guess, a, a watering down of what's going on in the crowdfunding world now. We've got the Indiegogo, Kickstarter, GoFundMe. I mean, the list is pretty big, and it seems oh, yeah. to be growing. Um, so you, you certainly sound hopeful there, and you're doing well with that and, and, and offering a lot of value. What about this other stuff? What about this other part of your life that is your life? And, and, and geez, I'm not, I'm not kidding about becoming an advocate, by the way. <laughs> I mean, you, you know what? You already are an advocate, period. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the question is, you know, what might be next? You know, sure. how, how, do you get the, how do you get the flag and wave it from uh, uh, Mount Rushmore or, or, yeah. or, or wherever? Yeah, no, I mean, so, you know, technology is moving. I just feel like it can move, you know, understanding technology, being a computer scientist, it can de- definitely move much faster at a much more rapid rate. And so one of the things that I'm doing to sort of tackle that is if I, I developed my own Linux operating system, and it's called Sonar GNU Linux. There we go. Uh, yeah, and so my, my own operating system, it's a totally 100% free operating system. Anyone can download it and install it on their computer, no charge at all. You can, you know, download a copy of it and burn 300,000 CDs and hand them out. I don't care. <laughs> it's, it's totally free. So... It's, Sonar currently is being used in over 30 different countries. I don't know how many users there are. I just know how many countries it's been downloaded in. Um, and so essentially what Sonar is, is you would download a, a DVD and you can either burn it onto a DVD or put it on a USB drive and you would install it onto your computer. Now what happens is a totally, completely blind person can install this with no sighted help at all. Wow. So when the, when the operating system comes up, it boots into what Linux calls a live system, meaning the entire operating system is running live off of like the DVD or off the pen drive. So the minute it boots up, it's as if you're already in the operating system. So the screen reader that we talked about, the technology, it comes up talking right away. So a blind person, right. if they want to install Sonar, they click on the install button, and then it walks them through the installer. And then within 15 minutes, they reboot the computer, and bam, they're now running Sonar on their computer. And... Now, with Sonar, I try, to, I try to meet the needs of every possible disability that I can. 
because I understand, like, again, there's a billion people in the world with some type of disability, and so I want to meet their needs. No one else is going out of the way to do it, so I figured I might as well try to do what I can do. <laughs> so, so on Sonart, it has the screen reading technology for blind people. It has screen magnific- magnification for low vision users that can, you know, magnify the screen up to an insane amount. I don't remember the exact number. Um, there's also a font included for people with dyslexia. So if you have dyslexia, you can switch the font over system-wide through the whole computer, and it helps you better at reading the screen. It's 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 ama- It sounds amazing. I guess my, my first question is, do you plan on dying broke? Why, do you, <laughs> why, why, why weren't you charging something for this software? It's amazing. Well, they, yeah, well, I mean, with, with, with open source, there's a whole philosophy behind that, sure. and I actually used to be, you, know, you use the word advocate, I used to be a strong, strong advocate with, like, open source software, mm-hmm. and it's not that you can't charge, you can, I, I could charge 10 bucks to download, but I don't want to say it's frowned upon with, like, the open source way. But there's other ways to go about earning, you know, money. So one model is providing tech support. Like sure. I could, I could, you know, here's my Skype or email. I'll charge you fifty bucks a month to give you tech support or whatever. Like so that that's one way of, of earning money. Or, you know, um, really the kind of the ACF was going to be sort of using funding the, the development of this, even though that's not really happening yet. But you know, someone could say, hey, I want this functionality. Can you do it? And I'd say, well, to get that functionality in Sonar, it would cost a thousand dollars, you know. And so th- there's ways of, of doing that where open source is extremely flexible and powerful, and, and so that gives me the opportunity to do things like that. So you have about 19 different websites, I think, from what I understand. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so let's start with let's let's let everybody know about Sonar uh, uh, GNU. So it's S O N A R G N U. Yep. Linux, L-I-N-U-X dot com. Correct, they can, yes. they can find out more about you there, and that's a Twitter handle, at the Sonar Project. How Correct. can they find out about you as the uh, crowdfunding expert and guru? That would be crowdfunding. Uh, I, I always come up with URLs that are a mouthful, and my wife always <laughs> me. But it's crowdfundingcampaignpr.com. Crowdfundingcampaignpr.com. Jonathan, it's been an absolute delight chatting with you today. I, honestly, you're doing great work you really are it's remarkable uh what you what you're accomplishing and I, I love your passion i love your commitment and 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 i can hear the um huh i can hear your your focus and your sense of 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 uh, a better world in your tone of voice i think it's awesome thank you yeah jonathan uh, nato he's here with us today uh check him out on one of his 19 websites uh he's not that hard to find his last <laughs> name is uh pronounced nato for us canadian uh, listeners uh <laughs> and spelled n-a-d-e-a-u he is a crowdfunding campaign and pr specialist check him out online jonathan thanks so much for uh, joining us today thanks for having me on david Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
the secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code GLOW.